Good morning, and welcome to episode 346 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. Uh, So I guess we should have saved our Tyler Skaggs discussion from yesterday for today. That probably. I feel like we could. I feel like we could still do it if you. I think we should bring a topic. I didn't. I think we should. Uh, You didn't bring a topic. (laughs) Well, I figured You're, that literally your topic was complaining <laughs> that we did we talked about it yesterday. I figured that would we would we would talk trades. There were multiple trades. We could talk about that. Okay. Uh, there there are gonna come days in January and February when we wish that there were any sort of signing or transaction because teams blew them all like on one day last week. And instead of stringing them out and giving giving us something to talk about for the whole off season, so uh, somebody somebody just messaged me that Mark Mulder is coming back. Have you heard this? Yes. Um. Uh. So that's a real thing. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, based on you know that being a real thing, what do you think are the chances that Roy Halladay or Mark Pryor comes back? Uh. I mean, I. I would assume that Pryor is done at this point because uh, I don't know why why st- why stop now? He's already been doing the the rehab thing for years now, so so he knows what's involved. Um, how old is Mark Mulder these days? Mark Mulder, thirty six. Thirty six. So that's like he's like Halliday's age, right? Um, he's two years younger than Halliday, I believe, oh, or maybe one no. year younger. Halliday's thirty six. Uh, oh really? Yeah, maybe an oh, older, right. older thirty-six slightly, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I would good guess... point about Halliday's age. <laughs> Thank you. It's a good yeah. point about it's... him being thirty-six and not thirty-eight. Saved us for having to score do one a, for you, Ben. Do a correction segment tomorrow. Yeah, um, yeah I don't it's know. It's funny there's... if you if you do a Google image search of Mark Mulder, the uh, fourth one is him golfing, and the fifth one is him with a giant uh, light cast on his arm. So that's pretty much. That's probably what inspired him to come back. He Googled himself, and he didn't want he didn't want his kids to one day Google him and see him with a giant cast on his arm. So he figured he'll he'll come back and make some new memories. Uh, All right. All right. So we can we can talk trades uh, for a minute. Um, Before we do, can I? There are a lot of Matt Kemp rumors flying around. and I'm sort of I'm sort of surprised that Matt Kemp is is on the market this this obviously. Are you surprised by that? Would you if you were the Dodgers, would you be shopping Matt Kemp around? This seems like a like a terrible time to shop Matt Matt Kemp. Yeah, I I think I absolutely wouldn't be. Um and you know, except that just because you're selling low doesn't mean it can't get lower. I mean, you know, it'd be right. like saying last year that it would have been a terrible time to shop Brett Anderson around yeah. uh, but you know things can get worse mm-hmm. um, if if they just I don't know if they just think that he's unlikely to bounce back then it's a much worse time next year I mean he's he's definitely movable right now and if he has a bad year if he hits 14 home runs next year uh, he becomes unmovable he becomes basically a slightly younger Josh Hamilton mm-hmm. so I can see the case that basically this is a a teetering moment for him and he could very easily teeter into unmovable and that's an awful lot of money to be stuck with if you don't get rid of him now 
Mm-hmm. That said, I mean, it's the Dodgers. Right. Um, if there's any team that you would expect to take Matt's, Matt Kemp's contract on, if he were you know out there available, it would be the Dodgers. And if there's any team you would think would not be trying to, to shed payroll right now, it'd be the Dodgers. And the the you know the easy thing to say is well they have too many too many outfielders, um, and that's true if they're all doing well. But I mean I I don't I guess I don't think that necessarily Carl Crawford's a great bet and right is an okay bet. But from from the Dodgers' perspective, uh, it's hard to imagine the Dodgers want to risk having a sub replacement left fielder mm-hmm. with with the payroll that they have. Yeah. Um, and it makes it seems to me that they would be the sort of team that would say, "Eh, screw it. We can we can carry eighteen million dollars on the bench to have I would insurance." Think so. Yeah, that I mean, it it's worked kind out. Of their deal. It worked out well last year for them to have what, all four guys. And if they yeah, what else would they do? Just have I mean, Andre Ethier is like the best fourth outfielder in baseball if everyone's healthy and productive, and that that's great. Uh, and if that's the case, then you can you can. You can put those guys on the market at midseason or something, or, or at least like wait until Kemp comes back and plays in the spring and is healthy, or you know reestablishes his value to some to some extent. I would think, unless you're right, unless they have no confidence in him, uh, and if teams think that that's why they're trying to get rid of him, then he's not going to have any value. Um, yeah, I doubt that's the problem, though. I mean, I don't. It's not like by trading somebody you immediately sink their cost, or else nobody would ever get traded. Right. I mean, they do have they do have a credible excuse. They do have, you know, two eighteen million dollar outfielders and Puig. Mm -hmm. So, um, although who plays center in this scenario? That's a good. Didn't we didn't we see this? I guess Ether goes back there. I don't know. It's it's odd. I would if I were because they don't have they don't have four outfielders. They have three corner outfielders, mm-hmm. and Kemp is not one of those three. <laughs> right. That's that's true. I mean, Ethier played some center last year, uh, right? But did you did you scare quote that? Did you scare quote play? <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know. I didn't watch him enough to know how how terrible he was. He played seventy four games there, and my my impression was maybe he was better than people thought he would be, um, but yeah, I don't know. If if I were if I were the Dodgers, this seems like a, a case where I would I would use the luxury of having a giant payroll to keep all these guys, unless unless one of them has like demanded a trade or something, unless one of them had said I don't want to go into the season with these four guys and I don't want to be a bench player and I don't want to share time or something. Like if it becomes a some sort of disruptive clubhouse issue to, to be juggling at bats between those guys, then maybe then you have to trade someone. But if, if that hasn't been the case, I, I would, I would wait. I would at least see if he could be healthy for a little while and enjoy the depth. Uh, Ken Rosenthal had a, had an interesting sourced tweet a few hours ago. He said, sources say the Dodgers primary concern in Kemp trade is quality of return. <laughs> which is big <laughs> if true <laughs> <laughs> which is generally the case when teams want to trade people they want to get a good return uh he he means of course that it's not a a complete salary dump and that they're willing to include money to get better players but uh but as a rule of thumb so, generally a so, 
True. Yeah. So the the idea, the basic idea is that they are looking for a shortstop. Is that it? That they would try to trade him for Andrews or uh, or Nick Franklin or something? Uh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I don't know. I haven't really read the the rumors enough to know what exactly they're they're targeting, but uh, I do keep seeing Matt Kemp coming up on my computer screen. All right. So uh, the trades that did happen, I guess we can. Start Let's talk with... about Kevin Towers. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll get to that. Uh, okay. So, yeah, so we'll start with the trade that we unwittingly started talking about yesterday, uh, which is the, the three-team deal between the, the Diamondbacks and the Angels and the White Sox, uh, where the Diamondbacks get Mark Trumbo. I guess that is the, the big headline from this. And the Angels get back Tyler Skaggs from the Diamondbacks and Hector Santiago from the White Sox. And then the White Sox get Adam Eaton to play outfield for them. And then there are some uh, there are some more minor players involved in there and some players to be named later. But uh, but those are the big names. So so we talked about Skaggs yesterday and I said I was surprised that they wouldn't make that trade, I guess. They did. They they were listening and decided to change their minds and make that trade. Um, so yeah. So Kevin Towers is the. I guess the the internet reaction to this trade has been very similar to the interaction. The internet reaction to every Diamondbacks move last winter, which is puzzlement uh, and and Twitter snark. I imagine. Um, so you you can see what the Angels are doing there. Trumbo has sort of been uh, expendable for them in some sense, and and they needed starting pitching, and they've got a couple, you know, legitimate back end sort of potentially mid rotation guys. Well, yeah, to be, was expendable for them, has been expendable for them for years mm-hmm. until until like three weeks ago, in uh-huh. which, at which point he quit being expendable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, and and the White Sox get an outfielder and a leadoff hitter and someone who improves their outfield defense. And uh, Santiago is, you know, like a back of the rotation guy, potentially even a, a bullpen guy, maybe under some some circumstances. So seems like you know you can see why the Angels made this trade. You can see why the White Sox made this trade. And then there uh, is the Diamondbacks, uh, and they made this trade to get Trumbo. And seemed to to give up a lot for that privilege. They gave up a lot of team control years for Skaggs and Eaton to bring back Trumbo, who doesn't seem like a, a huge upgrade for them, even in the short term, over over the guys that they gave up. Um, so what are we missing here? I guess this is a chance for you to talk about Mark Trumbo's personality. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what an awful thing to say! What a what a what a jerky thing to have just said! <laughs> I can't believe that it took 346 episodes for you to say something so mean. Well, you know you were going to, so just just talk about what a wonderful person he is. We'll get it over with. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about Kevin Towers, though. Okay. Because. Uh, Kevin Towers, the the thing that um, the thing that seems to be the the common theme of all these trades that he's made that have been mocked is that the Diamondbacks seem to just sort of zero in on their guy and be very confident that they are assessing him correctly, 
and be fairly confident that the guys that they want are not as valuable as they might appear to others. That they don't they they consider the, the essentially they consider the conventional wisdom on their guys to be wrong, mm-hmm. and the conventional wisdom on other guys to probably be wrong, and they don't really care. Uh, it seems like whether this is a uh, a move that that um, you know makes sense to the rest of us. Like basically, they have. Uh, you know, they have a they have a car that they think sucks, and you have a car that they think is awesome, and they don't really care that the blue book on your car is a lot lower than the blue book on their car. Mm-hmm. They want your car, and so they're confident in their assessment of those things. And it's uh, a it leads to you know a lot of reactions like you see, where I mean, we're the blue book people, right? I mean, everybody mm-hmm. else is the blue book people. So it doesn't look rational. And we basically, the only thing they have to, um, to sort of, uh, you know, back their case is like their own opinion and their own assessment, which doesn't mean a whole lot to us because it's just an opinion. Um, and we don't see what goes into the assessment. Um, but the other thing is that even if you, even if you accepted that they're omniscient and that they know they're, you know, th- that the blue book is wrong and they're right, you still would like to see them be a bit savvier in the way they shop mm-hmm. because you get the feeling that um, you know if most people are following the blue book and that you can get you know you can get them to give you closer to that and I think that the latter as, as we've talked about or as, as I've argued is is a kind of an insulting thing to assume about a GM you have to assume that towers is doing his best to get the best deal he can and mm-hmm. I mean he's he spends a long time on these moves. I mean, he spent a long time with Upton, especially. He spent <laughs> yeah. so long trying to move Upton. So the idea that that he could have done much better doesn't seem right. Um, and, you know, he spent many days on the, or multiple days on this Trumbo stuff. Um, but anyway, it does seem like like that's the easiest way to, to pick at them, is even if, even if they're right, it's bad shopping. Yeah. Um, and we but, talked about how... The Upton deal, it wasn't even so much the return they got back, but just how how much they publicized his availability and almost it seemed like they sort of depressed his value by just sort of being so down on him or being willing to, to get rid of him and, and explore trades over such a long period. Um, it seemed like they, if anything, they sort of deflated his value themselves. Yeah, it does. Um so that's that's half of the equation. But as for the the other part, their assessments being out of touch with the rest of the league, that would ordinarily be very damning too. Um, and if you you know if you didn't have faith in them or if they didn't have a track record, it would be very damning. If twenty nine teams think something about your guy and you're the only one that thinks something else, you're probably wrong. Um, but I would argue that they. Uh, that they pro- I would argue that they won the Upton deal, despite it not making a lot of sense. And I would argue that they won the uh, the Bauer deal, mm-hmm. despite it not making sense. And I would, and really, the Chris Young for Cliff Pennington deal was just about as weird and bad it seemed to me at the time. And Pennington did nothing, but Chris Young was was horrible, horrible. And Pennington did a lot more than him. Um, did I just say a name wrong? I feel like I just said Chris Young twice. Uh, no, I don't no, think so. I said the name right. Pennington mm-hmm. did more than him, so so arguably he won all three of those deals. 
And so I don't know if that buys him some um, some breathing space or if it should buy him all the breathing space. But, I mean, basically the question I have for you is if a GM feels it has opinions that are not in line with conventional wisdom, is the appropriate thing to um, smother them and to essentially fall in line and try to more or less play the same game everybody else is but just shave off a few grams here and there to, to get your profit? Or is the appropriate thing to just be Kevin Towers and just be just be bold and say, you know, screw it. It's you only live once. Uh, I'm gonna go with what I think. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the things I believe, and I'm gonna flourish. What do you think? <laughs> well, uh, first, I guess, I guess we're assuming that the internet opinion on all of these players reflects the the industry opinion to some extent, right? Which maybe is. Maybe is not completely the case. I don't know whether... It, yeah, it's quite often probably not the case, but it, I think it's also quite often the case. I mean, you mm-hmm. like, for instance, the... I don't know. It may, Well, that's a good question. It's a good question. I, I was going to say, I think that it probably does a fairly good job based on what we hear after the fact. But there are mm-hmm. definitely cases where a player didn't have the demand that we would have expected he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you're the GM and you, I mean, he's, he's been a GM forever, so he, he's probably pretty confident in himself and is entitled to some confidence. He hasn't, he hasn't been fired yet. Um, so I would think and you you hire all of your talent talent evaluators and your scouts and you hire the people that you respect and you think they're the best and and I wonder like what what percentage of general managers think they have the best front office do you, I wonder you know like everyone thinks oh, they're yeah, yeah. everyone thinks they're above average attractiveness or an above average driver I wonder yeah. what what percentage of GMs think that they have assembled the greatest collection of scouts and front office minds in baseball which obviously can't be true of all of them but I bet I bet more of them think that that's the case than than could possibly be the case um, so really that's a good question because it, it's well because first of all if you don't think that, then you would just think that you're losing every trade. You would just be terrified <laughs> of losing every single trade that you that you went into. Yeah. But if you if you did think that, it, like you said, probably the odds are that you are not. The right. odds are very good that you are not. So if you think you are, you've already lost the intellectual battle. Battle. You've okay. already you've already made a crucial mistake. <laughs> yeah, and there are probably certain. Certain teams, I feel like if I were a GM and I were trading with certain teams, I don't know, I might be more intimidated just based on their track record in trades uh, over the years. You know, if I'm trading with Dave Dombrowski or trading with Andrew Friedman or Billy Bean or something, I would I would probably I'd go over the numbers one more time just to try to spot where they were tricking me. Um, but... I don't know. I, I, if your opinion differs from the industries and you know it and you know you're sort of out on an island with a player, if you if you never act on that information, then you're potentially passing up an advantage every time because you could be the one who's valuing these players appropriately and everyone else could be wrong. Uh, and maybe maybe it's not an advantage if it's where you're you're selling a player and everyone doesn't think he's as good as you think he is but if you if you you know like when everyone was aghast at the the Doug Fister deal and 
everyone on the internet was saying we think Robbie Ray is a, a back of the rotation starter. He's a four or five guy, and then the Tigers executives were saying, well, we think he could be a number two or something. Um, yeah. If you think that's the case, and you have a lot of confidence in your evaluators, then then I guess you should act on that information as if it's true, unless you can find a team that that doesn't evaluate them the same way and just get them cheap anyway because they don't know what you think you know. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I guess if if Towers, if the Diamondbacks didn't ever say anything about scrappiness or character or being better people than other teams' players, I wonder whether we would be as flummoxed by their moves or not. Because then we... As it is, when we don't understand something they do, we just assume that it's that. We assume that they yeah. think he's just a good guy, and that seems like a strange way to make million-dollar decisions, and so we say that it's dumb. Whereas if they, even if they thought that but didn't say it, we would assume that they were basing their decisions on something else, which, for all we know, they are. But uh, but that's kind of the convenient explanation for why they're making these moves. Uh which is, yeah, go ahead. Didn't we say, I feel like we said at the beginning of the year or just before the year began that this was going to be like the big test of the Great Grit experiment and that if it didn't work this year that Gibson would get would would be in a lot of trouble. And it didn't work. And yet, like, <laughs> yeah. they just keep going. Like, all it's I interesting remember... that, that nothing changed. Yeah, all I remember is a Zachary Levine tweet <laughs> where he said, like, this is the... The referendum on whether that works they won 81 games last year and they won 81 games this year and i think their their pythag record was like six games worse not that not that one season of results is definitely uh conclusive but but yeah it if if there was a, a an advantage to building a team of character guys it wasn't wasn't really something we could perceive you just mentioned that they outperform their Pythag record as though that's not a grit skill. They didn't. They didn't. Oh, they did the opposite? They, yeah. Oh, so they were 87. Or, they w- I, I think, I don't think they outperformed or underperformed. I think they were right on it, but their their Pythag record was several oh, the year games before, worse than it was the, the, year the be- previous. I see. The year before they had, well, the year before they had underperformed it, though. Did they? Um, well, that's what that's what we're saying. So if they if the year before that, so they basically had a six game improvement in Pythag outperforming. So it worked. Oh, in 2012, they, they won. They, they went 81 and 81. Their Pythag yeah. was 86 and 76. Yeah. So the, okay, I see the what only, you're saying. So the only thing that matters is grit <laughs> is grit scores. So they were negative five. They actually lost yes. five games for, for and they were plus uh, one this season. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They. Yeah, so they six six grit improvement. Mm-hmm. Well, that's significant. So I can't argue with that. Uh, and and so I I guess that's and I haven't seen what they've said about this trade, if anything yet. I don't know whether they've come out and talked about how wonderful a person Mark Trumbo is, but but he he fits that mold, right? Based on what you know and have written about, he he is he is you know a, a character guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, everybody likes him. Mm-hmm. He is a guy that everybody likes a lot. Yeah. Well, uh, all right. I guess we'll see whether they whether they finish more than plus one Pythag this year because of Mark Trumbo. Uh, 
Um, all right. I wasn't sure. I'm not sure if he's a grit guy, but now that I think about it, I think he might. He's a little bit of a grit guy. It's, we don't generally ascribe grit to, to big dudes, but now that I think about it, he played he played a, the second half of uh, 2011 on a pretty badly hurt leg and didn't mm. uh, and uh, played through it. And I remember even at the time, even before I knew he was hurt, thinking how uh, how well he got down the line for a big guy. So he was. Even even in pain, he was he was gritting it out. Yeah, you get points for that. Plus, you, you know you know right-handed power is hard to find these days. Oh my gosh! <laughs> gotta, get just... that, gotta, gotta get that <laughs> power. Well, I feel like this went in both directions. This was a huge pet peeve uh, transaction for me because I get I really don't like when people uh, break value into the components as though some components are are more valuable than others. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you know, they're basically all, that's what war does. I mean, that's why we did, that's, you know, that's why we look at war because mm-hmm. it adds everything together. So once, once you sort of accept that the adding together thing more or less works, uh, you know, it's silly to then say, oh, but he can't hit lefties as mm-hmm. though that is more important than the rest. And so you, you had it coming from both sides. There's, I feel like there's a lot of people who really don't like Trumbo because he, uh, he's, he, he doesn't, he doesn't war the saber way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a lot of, you know, there's that, there's that, uh, there's not enough power in the game. So he's more valuable canard, mm-hmm. which I despise. So in both directions, people were just ignoring the fact that he's a two and a half win player making a lot less than a two and a half win player makes. And mm-hmm. he's got, he's got some good value and he's certainly not an MVP. He's, he's a good guy, a good player who, uh, most teams would be improved by. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there's no shame in getting him mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's also not the MVP. He's not Paul Goldschmidt. So that's what he is. It's great. It's good. It's a fun guy. Can you tell the nodding story? The nodding story? The Mark Trumbo, you wrote about how, uh, he didn't used to nod when he received oh. instruction oh, from, right. <laughs> from yeah. coaches. Yeah, he had a bad rep when he was coming up through the system really early, uh, and they were transitioning him from pitcher to uh, to first base um, with a little stopover at third, and uh, he was really bad at, at defense originally, or at least that's what his reputation was, and uh, he had a little bit of a reputation for not taking instruction well, mm-hmm. and he's a quiet guy and a fairly you know thoughtful one, and it's so it sort of seems weird now to think that he would have a bad reputation, but you know, the pe- coaches thought he wasn't listening or he was, you know, just he, he was too smart for him or something like that. And somebody I think told him, or maybe he discovered that, or somebody maybe mentioned like, when we give instruction to you, you don't nod or, or you, <laughs> what was it? You know this story better than I do. He did nod. Uh, he might have, I, I think, think he, he just he nodded but didn't say he nodded but he didn't, didn't say didn't verbally okay. acknowledge <laughs> that yeah <he> exactly <laughs> and so so when he was when he found out that he's supposed to say like okay like that's all it took and his <laughs> reputation in the organization took off <laughs> um, uh, okay so yeah I yeah where did I write about that I want to go look uh, that up so I can get this right RJ, uh, RJ linked to it in his transaction analysis. Uh, I will, I will send you a link as we are talking here. Um, so, uh, the, the other trade that happened again, we sort of, we sort of, uh, 
brought it up yesterday without knowing it when we talked about the Brett Anderson, Will Myers rumor that we've talked about on the podcast like 10 times. Um, and so maybe because I had that in my mind that that uh, Brett Anderson was supposedly a, a player who was almost traded for Will Myers straight up last winter, if you believe that report. My initial reaction to what the A's got back for him was underwhelmed. Uh, Pomeranz and Chris Jensen, who is not someone I had ever heard of, and the A's even sent a little money Colorado's way. Um, But the more I thought about it and the more I wrote about it, because I I already did a, a piece on it for BP, it seems about right, really, because at this point, we are still sort of thinking and talking about what Brandon Anderson could be and what he has been in short bursts at various times. But he is ultimately he's a pitcher who has barely pitched over the last few seasons. He's he's totaled 163 innings. And uh, at this point, his his former top prospect status and his draft position and all of the things that make us like him sort of pale in comparison to the the recent injury history and if if Doug Fister brings back uh, a back or mid rotation starter and a lefty reliever and a not particularly valuable utility guy and Fister has none of those durability concerns and he's actually making less money than Brett Anderson is now if that's the return for Fister then then what could you really expect for Brett Anderson, who's making $8 million and missed most of last season? Uh, not not a whole lot. So you you trade one kind of change of scenery lefty guy for another, and there are a lot of parallels between these two guys. Um, but it, it seems to me like it's, a, it's about what you could expect for him if, if underwhelming, given what we've thought that he might be traded for in the past yeah i i don't think that anderson should have had any trade value at all i mean if, mm-hmm. if anderson were an arbitration guy in line to make 8.5 million this year he would have definitely been non-tendered i think mm-hmm. well uh, well so so bean i guess was pretty pretty confident that he would have some trade value right because they they picked up his his option for eight million uh, probably with the intent to trade him at that point. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, and I think part of yeah, and part of the thing that is, I guess, part of the thing that's nice about him is that he's got. The, it's like the option next year is the valuable one. Because mm-hmm. basically, if he's good, then you get him next year for a very reasonable price. Yeah. And if he's bad, it's a, it's yeah. And if he's bad, it's a low. It's a small investment in in trying to find out. So I guess the, my my non-tender thing it depends on what his service time was. Uh, if he was you know a five-year service guy or a four-year service guy, then then maybe you pick it up. If he was a sixth-year guy or a you know third arbitration year, um, then I think you wouldn't. But the option gives some long-term upside. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's not just that he's only thrown 163 innings in the last two years. Um, it's that he had a six ERA last year. It's that mm-hmm. he was terrible in the bullpen. It's like the I don't I don't see. Um, I mean I I I don't think that I have ever been more sure that a guy was going to turn into an ace 
than Brett Anderson. I mean, he mm-hmm. so so I totally see the allure. Um, when he was pitching in you know 2010 and early in 2011, he looked so unhittable that um, you know if you saw that once, you it would take a long time not to keep thinking it's still in there. But I mean, eight million is kind of I mean I know it's not a lot, but it's kind of a lot for a guy who is like basically Ben Sheets without the durability, uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, and I mean his his peripherals were okay last year. Like his his defense independent stats were sort they of were where okay. they usually are. They're well, they were okay, but they were in they were in the bullpen mostly. In and the bullpen, yeah. he was he was really wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and if you and if you start talking about his the thing is if you start talking about his defense independent stats, they weren't that great before last year. Mm-hmm. That they, they were, you know, with if you add with the ground ball rate, they're good, but they weren't really ace level. So you needed it. You needed him to take a leap forward, probably already to some degree. But I don't know. It, I'm not surprised that Anderson didn't bring back anything big. And the thing about Pomeranz is that he has still, like, he has been good all this time in the minors. Yeah. He just it, and so if he and in Colorado Springs too, which is not an easy place to pitch either. Yeah, so you could imagine a world where he was still a prospect, and mm-hmm. he would he would have a lot of value. It's he's he's had a couple of really short stints in the big leagues that have gone really really badly, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think the book is closed on him at all. Yeah, and he and was he's, he's he's five years of service time left. Yes. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a big he's, difference. He's only like nine months younger than Anderson, but yeah, there there's a lot of team control left, and he's a guy who was kind of rushed up to the majors in his first professional season, and uh, yeah, there's there's sort of a lot to like there, and and I feel like there it sort of makes sense that these players would trade places with their profiles because. Anderson, I, I guess, fits the profile of a pitcher who would be good in Coors Field, or at least would be less bad than most pitchers would be, in that he's he's a, a high ground ball rate guy, and he's a guy who relies on his slider pretty heavily. We, ha- we had an article earlier this year by Dan Rosenson who looked at which pitch types were affected most by, by Coors Field, and his conclusion was that you want to have a slider if you're pitching there, and you don't want to have a curveball. Um so the Rockies acquired a slider guy and traded a curveball guy. Um, so you would think that maybe Pomeranz would be better in Oakland and, and the A's have a better track record for developing pitchers. It's sort of hard to separate that from the ballpark, but uh, he probably isn't even in the rotation on opening day, barring barring an injury because the A's have so many starters. So he would go to AAA and Maybe they work on his mechanics a little bit, and maybe he'll be up at, at some point in the year. But you would figure that over the five years that they have him, um, they they should or certainly could get more value out of him than they're giving up, and and enough that it makes sense that they're spending what they are. Uh, first to pick up Anderson's option, and then to send a little cash to Colorado. So, um, so not a not a bad deal, kind of. Kind of underwhelming, given given what maybe they could have gotten for Anderson if they had if they had sold him earlier. I, I guess this is a clear instance of holding on to a guy too long, in hindsight at least. Um, but given what what he's worth right now, it's it's probably not a bad deal. You know, I'm loath to give opinions, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to call this one a coup for the for the A's. All right. Well, 
You're not the first internet writer to say something nice about the A's. The uh, the Rockies could have a decent rotation, though. <laughs> if, they could uh, have a really good rotation. They already had a pretty good rotation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, their, their overall numbers as a rotation last year weren't very good. I was actually surprised because I thought they sort of had an underrated rotation, but... Um, I think I think they had like something like three of the ten best ERAs in club in franchise history. Yeah, I, Chassin and De La Rosa and and Chatwood were all very good, and yeah. they'll be back. And then they'll have Anderson theoretically, and I guess Jordan Lyles. Um, so that's that's not bad. But I don't know. They're they're paying they're paying Anderson six million for this year and then they're on the hook for his his buyout for next year if they don't pick up his option which is a million and a half so seven and a half million is is a little less than the Padres gave Josh Johnson coming off a, an injury year to kind of make good um and Pomeran seems like a guy who just sort of needed to to go elsewhere so I guess that if you look at it from that perspective it's it's not a, a a bad deal for them necessarily. All right, we're done. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, we're done. <laughs> okay. All right, so we'll be back tomorrow and we'll have an email show on Friday, so send us some at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. <laughs>